Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I mentioned these fears. I call them the three fears of devolution, right? They're going against our evolution as we are now. And yet at the same time, the fear of not enough as one of these fears of devolution also got us here. Like it also helped us evolve, like, you know, being like, oh, I'm afraid I won't have enough food for the winter. I guess I better stockpile. Got our ancestors through some hard winters, for example, or my ancestors anyway. (laughs) So I feel like these fears, even though they got us here, it's kind of like we're at the top of the crest. And if we keep living by these rules, like the living by these rules is sort of what's ultimately harming us and standing in our spiritual evolution. It's standing in the way of our, I feel like our next step. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Doing creative work can be kind of lonely, and that's why we built the Unmistakable Listener Tribe. The tribe is a community for professionals to connect and support each other. Everything is designed to help you grow your business and share what's working and what isn't. And that's true whether you're a business owner or an artist. You'll get access to feedback, live conversations with guests, and so much more. By joining the tribe, you become part of a community of creators who all support each other, and it's completely free. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Visit unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe to join. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Holly, welcome back to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, Srini. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you back. So you have a new book out, all of which we will get into. But as you know, from having been a former guest, um, I like to start with questions that have nothing to do with what you're up to. Um, so uh, I want to start asking you what religious or spiritual beliefs were you brought up with and what impact if any have those had on your life um later on huh well so it's interesting that you asked that because i was my family um was protestant uh we went to presbyterian church um but my parents were not super religious folks like my dad was from ohio his family was, I would even say woo-woo. Like my, I remember my grandmother talking about ghosts. Um, you know, there was just like a lot of interest in ESP and out-of-body experiences on my dad's side. And then my mom came from like good, uh, good farming, Illinois people. And so that's kind of where the Presbyterian comes from. So we, we would go to Presbyterian church when I was a little kid. And by the time I was, I don't know, in second grade, my mom was in graduate school and she was too tired on the weekends. So she'd be like, if you really want to go to church, wake me up and I'll take you to church. And I did that for a little bit. And then I just started going to church with my friends. So I I had this and I think I just, you know, like I always had this draw to experience spirituality or to understand it. I always was curious about the the world of, you know, the world and and God and 
I just felt like I had this direct connection and I was so curious what everybody else was talking about when it came to God. So I went to, gosh, Baptist churches. I went to Jehovah Witness. I was Jehovah Witness for a second. I, um, I mean, we didn't, I didn't have anything super interesting. Like I wish I could have gone to like a mosque or, you know, something like that. But I, I went to all these different churches. So I sort of had like this spiritual education just by going with my friends to their churches. So what surprised you? Um, what was shocking? What did, did you find things that you disagreed with when you went to all these different churches? Yeah, I think, I think what really, what I started to really come to realize is that they didn't really, I wasn't really fully accepted anywhere in these churches. Like I felt very much like an outsider. I felt very much like, but from the questions I asked and my curiosity, like I wasn't just accepting what I was being fed, right? I wanted to question it. And I would ask things like, yeah, but who's like God's dad? And like, where did God come from then? Like, if God is the creator, then where did God's God come from? You know, and I was just really curious. And um, I there was something about me that, that, you know, the the powers that be and the churches didn't care for. And so I started to get this sense that, um, you know, I, I was tapped into my own thing. Like I had my own, I, I just imagined God like this phone line and I had a direct line. And I was like, you know what? I kind of have this direct line. I'm already talking to God. And what they're saying is it really matching up with what you're feeding me. So... I just sort of decided that, you know, as much as I love and respect religion for those things it creates, that it's not really for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does it play any role at all in your adult life now? Religion? No. Um, you know, spiritually, I would say I have a strong connection to the spirit world. Um, so you're one of those people who basically, much like myself, marks spiritual, but not religious on a dating profile. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. Like many of us here in California, I was yeah. spiritual, not religious. Um, you know, although, I mean, I, I still respect and I still am curious. Uh, my son's taking a world religions course right now. And I'm like talking with him and remembering when I took a world religions course. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of value in a lot of those systems uh, I just don't choose to abide by, be disciplined in, adhere to <laughs> any of those dogmas. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder what um, that experience uh, has done to inform, you know, sort of the way you're educating your son as a mother about uh, spirituality, about religion, you know, about these sort of forces in the universe that we can't explain or understand. Sure. Yeah. Well, he's 18 now, so he's he's forming his own opinions. Um, wow. God, it has been a long time since we talked. No, right? He's like, it's crazy to me that my kid is grown. Um, but yeah, so he, it's interesting because I sent him to a Catholic school for high school. Um, parochial schools are known to be good schools and also a little bit more affordable than other private schools. So it was kind of like a, a moment of like, well, I'm going to send him into the system, you know? Um, but him having had been brought up by me, right? So I felt like the foundation for being open-minded um, and the way he sees himself in the world was already built in him when I sent him to Catholic school. And, and that, what I appreciate is in their education, I mean, yes, he goes to mass and he goes to these, um, you know, the, I don't even know what they call them, the sessions, the church sessions. <laughs> he goes to the, the school events or was before the pandemic and they pray sometimes, but it's not, you know, the kids are not expected to become Catholic um, they're exposed to a lot of religions. Like I said, he's taking world religions right now. Mm -hmm. They're, uh, they're just exposed to, um, to, to, uh, ways of thinking about religion and thinking around it and through it. 
So I feel like it's a good way to give him that if he wants that, like that's his path, right? Yeah. He can choose religion, but I, it also, <clears throat> I don't feel like it's gonna, like he, at one point, I think he said something like, what if I became Catholic? And I think it was trying to, <laughs> trying to be, trying to make me mad. <laughs> and mm. I just was like, go for it. And then it kind of lost its appeal after that. <laughs> well, it, well, that, that actually makes a perfect setup for my next question. Um, so I, I think the one thing that, uh, you know, kind of became apparent to me when you were telling me the story about questioning, you know, the things that you were being told is that you seem to have this sort of um, drive to challenge authority or and, and question things and not just accept them at face value. And I, I feel like a lot of people start to lose that with age. Um, one, why do you think that is? Why, why am I that way? Well, no. Why is it that most people lose that capacity to challenge authority and just oh, start yeah. accepting things at face value? That's a good, that's a really good question. I think it's easier. I yeah. think it's easier. I think it just makes things easier. I was, I thought of this. I was noticing, I was looking around at all the parents. I was on a, uh, this was like a year ago, but it just is coming to mind. I was on this um, trip with my kids 4-H and all, I'd look around at all the kids and they're like, they're so weird. You know, they've got, <laughs> they got their weird hair. And I mean, I say that with love, like they're all different though. Like not the same weird. It's not like they're all trying to be punk, but they're all, I love it. You know, this kid, um, you know, they're just like transgender and they have different hair that not that that's weird. I shouldn't have said that, but you know what I mean? Like this kid mm -hmm. has different hair. This kid is dressing different. This kid is trying out. You could tell he's trying out this look that he saw on a beetle from the fifties. Um, they're just willing to be themselves is what I think. I mean, it's like they're, 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 this is what I, this is who I am and I'm going to express it. And, and also some amount of, this is who I think I might be. And I think I'm going to try it out. And I think as we become adults, we lose that, um, willingness to put ourselves out there because there's a little bit of discomfort. I mean, you look at these kids, they're awkward in part because of their age, right? But they're also just, it also just is sort of uncomfortable to, have everyone staring at you because you put a bunch of glue in your hair to do a mohawk. Um, you know, it is a little uncomfortable to be different. And you look at all the parents and we are, we're wearing the parent uniform. We've all got on our, our sweatpants or our leggings. Like all the moms are in leggings. Everybody's got like matching ponytails and even myself, like I pride myself on my individuality and being an artist. And I put on the mom outfit to do mom things because it's easier for me to, to be the mom, to not stand out, to not have everybody talking about me. It makes my kid uncomfortable, you know? So it's like, I think it's just, it's harder to be unique. Mm -hmm. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So <clears throat> I think this will make a, a perfect segue to the book. I mean, you've made you know your career uh, as an artist, as a creative. I mean, you've done all sorts of things as a dancer, as an actress. And I wonder, as a mother, you know, with a kid who's about to be 18, how has your experience, uh, you know, from your career impacted what you've told him about making his way in the world? How has my career impacted him as a creative being? Well, or? no. I mean, how has your experience as a creative informed the advice that you've given him about how to make his way in the world? <clears throat> Gosh. I feel like I lead by example. You know? I, I lead by, this is something I'm interested in. This is something I'm passionate about. I'm going to go for it. And he's watched me. He's been right there when I wrote my first book, right? He's been right there when I wrote my second book. He's been in the house, you know? He's seen me, you know, practicing my sets for comedy. He's spent many, many years growing up in a dance studio <laughs> when I was practicing, right? He's been subjected <laughs> to great art <laughs> and performances. And I feel like, I don't know. I don't, I think it's all to come on that and how, like I haven't said anything, but follow what makes you happy. Um, and it's interesting. My kid wants to go into finance because <laughs> 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 he says, mom, I don't want to, I don't want to struggle with money, you know, yeah. I want to, I want to have the money part taken care of. And I'm like, great, do you know, do it how you want. Um, yeah, that actually was going to be, be my, my next question was, you know, the, about the, the harder parts, like he's probably had a front row seat to the things that didn't work out as well. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah he's seen the failures. Um, I, I do feel like, Sometimes I have thought like it's a missed opportunity. Like he could have had the keys to the castle. You know, I didn't have parents that were in the arts sort of, if he had wanted, if he had the passion, I would have let him go as far as he wanted to go. Um, that being said, I'm partially relieved that he, 
you know, didn't want to go into acting or didn't want to go. I mean, he sings. He probably doesn't really want me talking about him a lot. So I'll just leave it at <laughs> he's a singer. And that yeah. that is something that he loves. And mommy, I sing, but not really. I never I was never great. So he's taken it to a whole other level. So that's kind of his joy and his love and his artistic, creative expression just for himself. And so he does that in a choir. Um, and I won't say anything more about that because he probably doesn't yeah. want But yeah. I guess, you know, I think what's, what's so striking to me about what you said is that you're relieved that he's chosen not to pursue a career, despite you yourself being an artist. <laughs> I being an artist and being someone who encourages artists, mind you. Um, yeah. Even though I coach people to, you know, follow their dreams and their passion. And um, I really do kind of hold to the belief, though, that it has to be something that you have to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I have I've been sort of following you, Srini, and some of your things that you've been posting on Facebook about, like, don't, you know, follow your passion into a pit of no money and... <laughs> Some some interesting think pieces that you've been writing about, yeah. and I and I do agree to some degree. Like, like there's no reason to um, be in poverty unless you just are absolutely doing what you have to do to express yourself. And I think it's those people that love it, are hungry for it, can't don't know what else to do. That those are the people that I'm like, okay. You know, I can coach you. I can help you with that. I can help you with where the areas where you're blocked because I know that the desire is so great, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. I have been, you know, I, I think the, you know, it's part of well, all of you, what you've been reading is, is part of a book that I'm writing and I'm just kind of testing out that material on Facebook to see kind of what, you know, feedback is. Um, but, you know, I, I think the thing that, it keeps coming back to me is it's like, you know, two, one is, is context, which, you know, that's going to be different for everybody. But um, I think that, you know, we're sold a, a lot of delusional optimism, which ends up leading to very bad decisions with very, you know, detrimental consequences to people's lives because they use platitudes as life plans. And um, I appreciate the fact that you were honest about this because it is, truthfully not a life for everybody and it's not one that's easy by any stretch of the imagination because it's not like hey here are the steps laid out from a to z unlike say going to law school or medical school not not that anything is wrong with those choices my sister's a doctor but mm -hmm. you're kind of basically perpetually you know living in a world of the unknown which i know you've written about and we'll talk about that mm -hmm. um but yeah that's that's kind of why you know i, I think what, what it is is that I have been really going back and looking at, you know, all the people I've interviewed. And I think that the number one thing that I've gathered from a thousand interviews is to question the validity of everything that I've ever been taught from my guests and <laughs> not accept it at face value because it might not be true for me. Right. Well, I imagine that would be natural since you were listening to a thousand voices. Yeah. Then there's got to be conflicting ones. It's not like... The, it's not like you can hear the advice and it all fits neatly together. I'm sure you've heard advice that's one thing and mm -hmm. then totally different advice. Like some people are like, if you're going to be a writer, you must write every single day. Yeah. And I happen to have a brother-in-law who's extremely prolific novel writer, Hugo award-winning. And he's like, eh, some days I don't write, but some days, yeah, I sit down and I pound out for hours. So and he yeah. is a writer. So it's like, that's conflicting advice. So it's like, totally. I can imagine that you would be like, hmm, about everything, because at this point, you've heard everything. Well, it, it's kind of, well, I, w I wouldn't say I've heard everything. I still think <laughs> I have a lot to learn. Um, but, you know, it, I think for anything, you can find evidence to the contrary. I mean, like I've always joked, the only things that will prevent me from writing every day are sex or surfing. Both of those are valid reasons not to write. <laughs> yeah you gotta have i mean that's like vitamins come on yeah <laughs> well let's do this let's get into the book um but let me start with this what prompted your decision to write a book of all the things you could do in the midst of a pandemic why a book why this book and why now 
Mm. This is a book I've always wanted to write. And, you know, originally this book started out making art in the middle of madness. It started out as uh, uh, the core text is about helping people with stage fright, helping people with that fear um, when you're put in high pressure situation, high pressure situations, when you're in front of a crowd, when you're on stage, even when you're presenting yourself online, how do you deal with the fear of being visible? And then uh, it was it didn't really have the momentum I needed to publish it. And then the pandemic happened, and I picked up this text again, and I started thinking. This isn't just about stage fright. This isn't just about one fear. You know, this fear is, this is about the fear we're all facing in the world during all this madness, right? When the, you know, environmental concerns, the pandemic, political upheaval, all these things sort of put us into a state of fight, flight, or freeze response. And I thought to myself, that's everybody's in that state. And that's the same thing that happens when you're in stage fright is that sort of response. So I was like, wow, I feel like this is the keys to the castle. Like this is this information about how to, to manage and to unlock that fear and to understand it almost even more just to understand it, like just to know what's running us. Like what are these what are these systems? What are these fears that are running us? And actually, I think like running us off the planet in many ways. And how can I, you know, use the tools that I know to help artists to help just anyone picking up this book? Hmm. Well, let's get into this. I mean, you broke this down into sort of three main fears, the fear of the other, fear of not enough and fear of the unknown. So let's let's start with um, dealing with fear of the other. And I, I think what I liked is the fact that you had an archetype that really kind of embodied each one of these. So let's talk about fear of the other, because at the very beginning of fear of the other, um, there are two things you say. You talk about this idea of an outlaw, um, and you say the outlaw archetype has freedom outside of community, roams wildly, does as they please in actions that are at times dubiously heroic and even unlawful. They don't exist without society, but they dip in and out as they please. Outlaws are bringers of chaos and they follow a sense of justice that falls outside of society's definition. Um, so, you know, what is the role of, of an outlaw, you know, particularly in, in, you know, creative work? Well, yeah, right. So this, that's the beauty of these like shadow archetypes is it's like, that might be a fear running you out of town, right? Putting you on that as the outlaw on the back of that horse. And like when drama happens, you're like, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm heading towards the sunset, but it's also that, that same archetype of the outlaw that keeps artists, uh, with a perspective, with the ability to sit outside of a community or a situation and to see it from a, a different lens. Uh, the outlaw is also where we get our solitude. Like we need time alone to ruminate um, and to figure things out and to be creative. <clears throat> so I think, you know, the, the outlaw is something that every artist or every, you know, anybody that's creating something can probably relate to on some level. It's like, there's this part of us that, you know, when stuff gets hard, we just want to run away. And there's something we like about being elusive. There's something we like about being wanted. You know, you think of the wanted sign of the outlaw, um, yeah, that was, that was hot. <laughs> <laughs> Made me think that I should have a book cover that says, you know, with me in a picture and a wanted sign. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, so there are two other aspects of this, I think that were really striking to me that I think are really important. You talked about connection and community. Um, particularly in a remote world. I mean, like connecting has taken on a whole different meaning during this time. And I know you've written and talked about this. I mean, you know, how do people find that sense of connection and community when they're basically isolated from the entire world, not through, you know, choice, but, you know, circumstance? Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're, we're so um, separated right now. And I think 
we crave connection. Um, and then we're also fearful of it. Like, think about it, you know, like we're afraid of getting together and getting the virus. And um, we're also just afraid of getting together and having run-ins with people and having to deal with people. And, <laughs> you know, it'll be interesting to see as so many of us have been forced to be a bit of the outlaw, you know, like we've been forced to be in quarantine and separated. It'll be interesting to see how we come back together. Like, how does that affect us? Like, I'm sure there'll be a, a sense of, I mean, I'm, there already is a longing for connection. Mm -hmm. um, but I wonder if it'll, if more people will kind of uh, have more value for that time alone too. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because I mean, my roommate jokes that I like no longer want to go anywhere or do anything and become getting like, I literally am at the point where if something involves me leaving the house, I'm like, yeah, I'm not really interested in doing that. <laughs> and it's almost like we've become institutionalized in our own houses. And I, I wonder, you know, what you think that transition is going to look like, because I, I'm honestly starting to get very comfortable with this. I know. I know. Well, I think we all are. I Minus think, the inability to date somebody, most of this seems okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't know, like maybe this is the reset we needed in some ways, right? Because um, yeah. didn't, wasn't there like, um, I don't remember any statistics about it, but I just remember pictures of places that were previously smoggy and and polluted being yeah, like- Yeah, India here. being one of them. <laughs> India. Right. Because people aren't driving. They're not out. They're not um, using fossil fuels. Uh, you know, they're taking more care. I mean, I think the pendulum will kind of like settle, settle, but hopefully it doesn't settle back. You know, maybe in some ways yeah. we need to be a little bit more um, at home, taking care of our one on one, our loved ones, um, people that are near and dear. And then but then, yeah, for those of us that don't have a, a, a life partner yet, we're kind of like, okay, yeah, but I need to go find the near and dear. <laughs> Can you just <laughs> give me a, 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 an ability to get out of the house? And um, It'd be interesting, I think. I think it'll balance out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Edward Snowden was in an interview where he said, this is an opportunity for us to decide who we want to be when this is all over. Genius. Love it. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Well, let's talk um, about another thing that's of, of profound interest to me. I mean, as a creative, I've been thinking a lot about this. And I mean, I even read an entire piece, uh, like 9,000 word article about the psychology of building an art audience. And you spoke specifically about vulnerability. And you said a fear that often crops up among performers is if they become too vulnerable or real, then they might lose themselves or lose control. I've counseled artists who are afraid of crying or losing control, crying or losing control on stage. But more often, the anxiety manifests itself more subtly in things like light, tight movements, inexpressive faces or well executed, but non-moving performances. And I think that part of what's interesting to me about this vulnerability thing is that I feel like people basically overlook the light, like confuse vulnerability with being a train wreck in a public forum. Um, <laughs> I see it online. I mean, I know cause I've, I've done it myself. Um, mm -hmm. and given that you wrote about this, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what your take is on that, because, you know, I've asked a bunch of people this question, but like, where is that line? Like, where is the line of this is vulnerable versus this is not appropriate for public consumption? That's a really good question. I, I am, I'm so glad you asked that. I do think there is, a sort of formula to the vulnerable share. There's an art to it. There's an art to sharing about yourself. Um, and I think like no one wants to hear that because then it sounds like you are using your uh, life's hardships to manipulate people's emotions. So nobody wants to hear you say, there's an art to it. <laughs> but the well, truth people is, are already doing that. There I is. Mean, that that right? happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, marketing uses story to, uh, to manipulate your feelings. Um, yeah. And so I, I just think like if you're going to share vulnerably, there's a few things you have to think. Like, am I, have I processed this enough 
to be able to share it? Like, am I okay? Because I think if it's something that you're still getting through, and this is the same thing that happens with comedy too. Uh, If I try to make jokes about something that I'm still in, then the audience can't laugh because they're worried about me, (laughs) you know? So it has to have, it has to have enough emotion. You have to be in it enough to have some emotional weight to it, but you Mm -hmm. don't want to be not okay. Like you have to let people know I'm okay. Generally the formula goes like this. I'm okay now. My life is good, but it wasn't always this way (laughs) before, you know, I was this happy or successful or whatever. This thing happened to me. And then you share about like what, um, you know, that hardship. And I think, you know, the the thing to remember is like, there's a difference between vulnerable and, and private. Like some things, you know, some things are private. Some things you just... You don't want to share. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's different for everybody What where that line is. Yeah. You have to kind of feel it out. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll post things and then just take them down. Or mm. or I'll post them in, uh, like, I have a TikTok, but nobody follows me on TikTok. Nobody, please, nobody follow me. I post, <laughs> I post like, the weirdest things there. And then if I'm kind of like, oh, you know what? I kind of like that. I'll post it in my Instagram story. And then, cause that goes away. Right. And then if Instagram story feels okay, I'll make a real post of it. And if that feels okay, then I might put it in Facebook because that's where my mom is. Where like everybody, you know, so it's like, yeah. I feel like we have layers of, of, um, it's like layers of intimacy and sometimes mm. you have to feel them out. I, I appreciate this idea of layers of intimacy because like the, the person that came to mind when you said that is it, Seth Godin. Like if you notice something about Seth Godin's work or anything he does in public, there's one thing that literally never comes up in any of his work. Um, and that is his wife or his son. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of like those things are off limits. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was probably a decision he made and kind of stuck to. And I'm sure those things take enforcing. Um, yeah. I was listening to an interview with Jodie Foster where she was talking about, like, I had forgotten this, but I guess the guy who shot, was it, she got, she was being stalked by the guy that shot Reagan. Wow. <laughs> Am I getting this right? I don't, I don't want to sound stupid, but anyway, she was being stalked and it was like a huge deal And they kind of had her speak on it once and then they buried it and they had to, you know, um, enforce it. And I guess at that time it was easier to enforce, but nobody really thinks of that now. You know, Mm. when you think of Jodie Foster, she's had this huge long career. Um, But uh, I think, you know, you have to decide where, what those things you'll talk about is. And if you talk about something, you're going to open it up to, to everybody. It's the domain, right? And so it's like our, sometimes I'll pause before I post something. Am I willing to hear people's opinions about Mm -hmm. this aspect? And oftentimes there are things that I really keep, you know, to myself too. Mm. Let's talk um, about this idea of the fear of not enough. And you said the fear of not enough is one of the most powerful of all fears because it's been conditioned to us that we're limited. Yeah, I think that that's it's something that, that there's you know it, there's a grain of truth to that. And on the flip side of that, I don't necessarily believe that we're all limitless either. I mean, you saw the comment I made about the fact that I am never going to play NBA basketball because I'm a fucking scrawny Indian. Um, <laughs> that's a pretty clear limit, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm also interested in why you chose to put the various archetypes in each section because you know in this section you also mentioned the rebel and you said at their best the rebel is someone who throws the rules out the window to inject playfulness into a situation. They love challenging authority and the status quo in an effort to seek justice. Um, So those are the two questions, you know, like one is this, you know, fear that we're all limited and are this fear of not enough and and how we overcome it. Because I I think we all have to have deal with this fear of not enough while also knowing that we do have limits. Mm, That's a good point. That's a good point. I'm glad you said that because I, I mentioned these fears. I call them the three fears of devolution, right? They're, they're going against our, our 
evolution as we are now. And yet at the same time, the fear of not enough as one of these fears of devolution also got us here. Like it also helped us evolve, like, you know, being like, oh, I'm afraid I won't have enough food for the winter. I guess I better stockpile. Uh, got uh, our ancestors through some hard winters, for example, or my ancestors anyway. <laughs> so, so these fears of, you know, it's like, um, I feel like these fears, even though they got us here, they are, it's kind of like we're at the top of the crest. And if we keep living by these rules, like the living by these rules is sort of what's ultimately harming us and standing in our spiritual evolution. It's standing in the way of our, um, I feel like our next step, because um, even though it's true, you know, it's true that in some ways there are some limited resources that we're concerned about. For example, you know, water, um, fossil fuels, um, you know, these sorts of things, or like you're saying, I'm a scrawny, I have a scrawny body. Like I can't, I can't be, I can't play basketball or I can't play professional sports. It's not that that isn't true. It's that the focusing on the not enough keeps us from being able to imagine what we need to, to take the next step. So it isn't that these ideas of, um, it isn't these ideas that like, what do I, how do I want to say this? It's not that the world is limitless. It's that focusing on the world being limiting keeps us from being able to do what we want to do. That's what I want to say. Hmm. Um, what about the rebel archetype? Like what is the role of the rebel archetype in the creative world? And, and you know, why did you put the rebel under the fear of not being enough, or fear of not enough? Right. So the, the rebel likes to keep track. The rebel is, um, likes to say no, likes to say, forget this, screw this. Let's, let's, let's do what we want. It pushes against norms. Um, and I think the, the reason why it's a great archetype for this is because it's also a seeker of justice, right? The rebel is also the one that's going to say, well, that's not fair that they've got more than they have, you see. So it's it's in that not enoughness. It's in the it's in the realm of like there's a pie, and we need to make sure the pie is divided equally. And I think that's where the rebel as an archetype shines. That's that's where it's really useful. Is it's like yeah, we do need to fight for equity. We do need to make sure that we're we're treating the world, you know, the world and the people and the the plants and the the creatures in it fairly. We do need to um, to fight for that. So the, the rebel is the fighter. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. 
From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So there's one thing that you actually talk about in the fear of not being enough, uh, fear fear of uh, not enough. And this is um, probably something that really just struck a chord with me because I I can't help but think about this a lot. It's something I think about and and talk about with, you know, people in our community about this sort of inner critic. And, you know, you say we're faced with a challenging situation. We think of things our parents, teachers, siblings, friends, and lovers may have said about the situation. We see it through the eyes of many voices, and sometimes they aren't positive. We're conditioned throughout our life to listen to this advice from others and seek counsel outside of ourselves. But the truth is all of us have another voice that is solely our own that lives inside us. It is guiding positive and says things like, um, you know, I have an idea that I think will work. Yeah, this feels right. This is fun. Now, I think that what is interesting is is the way I would, you know, sort of separate these two is, is to describe them as the inner critic and the inner creator. Uh, mm-hmm. At least that's how I describe to the people in our community. But I wonder why you think people give so much um, attention to their inner critic and not the positive voice. And how do they make that shift? Mm. That's a really interesting question. Why why do we give so much power over to that? Um, I mean, I think I'm going to look at this from like a hypnotherapist angle, you know, as a as a hypnotherapist, as somebody that deals with people's subconscious mind and just knowing the way the kind of the pie in our brains is filled up and created and baked and made uh, throughout your life you know, everything that happens to you goes into your subconscious mind and your memory and it's stored there. So every single incident, every single uh, comment somebody makes, every experience that you have and have lived is stored in there. And so I don't think that we store enough positive things in there. You know, I think if you look at people who have had really super positive experiences, they do act somewhat differently. They do act more from that positive voice. So I don't think it's everybody that, that, um, I think we all have the inner critic. It's not everybody that is run by it, but it is somewhat of a, an epidemic 
in the world that we live in. Um, we're more likely to, to, it's much more attractive to people to tell them the dramatic story, to talk about um, where we fall short. You know, I think I give an example in the book. If somebody's showing up to a dinner party, say like, say like, I don't know, I have this great interview with you this morning, right, Trini? And then later, I don't know, my ex-boyfriend texts me and we get into this dramatic back and forth or something. So I go to dinner with my girlfriends tonight and I want to tell them about the amazing interview I had, but they have about mm, two minutes of focus to listen to how great I am. Right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's because their lives aren't great. I don't know. I have really good girlfriends who would probably listen a lot longer than that. But I'm just saying in general, we sort of play to the audience. So I'm more likely to tell everybody about the dramatic back and forth because it's got people's attention. Um, you know, we're, we're interested in the drama. So I feel like even if we have positive experiences in our lives, we gravitate towards telling the drama, speaking to our limitations. Uh, because it makes other people feel comfortable. We connect over the faults. We connect over those things. Um, so that's that's my two cents on it. That's mm. why I think that that we tend to have more of a of a of an inner critic. It's our life experiences, and then it's the way we reinforce those life experiences. So then, how do you shift that? Is it possible? I absolutely. I think so. Absolutely. I think it's a matter of, um, I mean, there's two ways that I tell people they can change it. One is to get hypnotherapy. <laughs> um, not everybody's interested in that, but you know, when you're, when your subconscious mind is opened, uh, and relaxed, then you can sort of clear out some of those negative ideas and you put in a lot of positive suggestions. So by doing some, some work like that, meditation is a similar, has a similar effect. Um, mm. But also from the outside and more, you can, you can also just start being more diligent, noticing the thoughts in your mind, noticing when you're being hard on yourself, just start recognizing, wow, I really do. If somebody compliments me, I never say thank you. I never just receive it. I have to say, oh, but I, I took too long to finish it. It's not that great. Or, you know, you have to notice these things and be willing to, to try to shift them and be willing to focus your attention on, on the, 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 the strong voice in your head that's giving you great ideas. Cause yeah. I feel like we all have these, these voices that are giving these ideas. And if you're not listening, it's very faint, you know? And I think the more you listen, the more it speaks to you. It's like when you're writing, I'm sure you get a little whisper of an idea and you could just go surfing or have sex, but you <laughs> choose, Srini. Both to... of which would be far more enjoyable than writing. <laughs> but at least some of the time you choose to pause and go, wait, that was important. That sounded like something, or mm. I don't know if it is, but I'm going to write it down. And then more ideas come because you're listening. So I think it's a matter of listening. And then I feel like that, that uh, inner creative speaks to us more. Hmm. Let's get into um, the next section. I, I think this is the part that really was my favorite and also the one that I think in my mind is so representative of a creative life. And you said, just as a fear of not enough get you stuck in the past, the fear of the unknown sticks you solidly in the future, your mind becomes so obsessed with the gaping hole that is unknown that it constantly tries to fill it in. You know, I mean, I think that in my mind, the entire existence of a creative person who chooses to build a creative career and live a creative life is just one giant unknown. Mm -hmm. like everything you do is an unknown. So how do you navigate that dynamic without losing your mind? <laughs> and how have you taught people how to do that? Because I know, I mean, you know this better than anybody. I remember the story about the, you know, 90th audition that you had mentioned and your dad asking you, do I really want to do this? Yeah. Um, you know, and to me, I mean, that's very clear that, okay, wait a minute, this is a situation which it is a very much an unknown and there are no guarantees. You have to be down for the ride. If you're living a creative life with, 
which I hope that all of us are to some degree, we're creating our everyday life. We're creating, you know, even if you're just, uh, I don't know, going to work, you're creating your day. You have to be down for the ride. You know, there's a certain sense of like, uh, I'm on this adventure and there's only so much of this I can control. And I think that's where we can really get messed up is when we, is when we stop and we take, we take count, which I'm doing right now. <laughs> so it's a hard place to be when you stop and you take count and you say, wait, wait, I've been working at this for so long. Why isn't it this? Or I want it to be more of that. Or, you know, we stop and we take count. And then also we try, we put the control uh, outside of ourselves. We expect others to, um, to be something they're not. We expect them to fill the holes for us. We, you know, we want, we want control of everything outside of us. And the truth is, is there's one piece, right? There's only one thing you can control. There's only one important piece though. It's everything. And that is you, how you're looking at things, your outlook, your attitude, how, you know, the story that you're shaping about what's happening. And that's what I talk about with the fear of the unknown is uh, the archetype there is the fabulous. The fabulous is the storyteller. And as creative people, we have this amazing ability to imagine something different, to create uh, a story, to take, um, yeah, just to, to create the outcome. And so it's like, I think we have to really focus on like what, what we can control. And that's the story that we're telling about what's happening. Yeah. I think that part of why I like this so much is because, you know, I, I think this is like the blessing and curse of having an imagination, right? You're capable mm-hmm. of imagining amazing things, but also worst case scenarios in every situation in life. Yeah. So I mean, when you have had people come to you to work with you, I mean, I know you've worked with some very successful artists just from having, you know, looked through your body of work and, and knowing who some of your clients are. Um, you know, when, how do they, do you find that they go through all these struggles? Like, and are there people who basically do everything right, but in the end don't end up getting what they want or what they're after? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do they reclaim a sense of identity when, one thing has been their identity for so long. Um, I think that there, I think there's a certain amount of um, acceptance and letting go. And I think when you have an artist, I mean, the interesting thing is like, you look at people that are really successful who you think, wow, they just, they must be so happy. They have it all. And they will tell you, the same thing that there's never, it's never enough. Like there, there's always something that they, they wish they had, or, you know, would like to, to achieve, or there's always more. So I think starting there and understanding that is really important. And then moving back from there, your question was, what about people that do everything right and they still don't get the payoff? And then how do they find a sense of identity after this one thing has defined their identity for so long? Because you see this with athletes who are, you know, bred to go pro and then they don't get drafted to the NFL or to the NBA. Yeah, but there's always another opportunity. There's always more opportunities. It's just what are you, where are you focused? Are you so fixed on this one thing? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I do think that's devastating. I mean, I was a professional dancer for 15 years and then, you know, I had this knee injury. And now even if I was to, to train, I would never be what I was. And so there's a grief of, of losing that person that I was in some sense, but then it's like, okay, well, what now? And that's, you know, I'm doing stand-up comedy. Like what, (laughs) like there's, I have to look at it as not an end, but a, just one more building block to this beautiful, interesting life that I've created for myself and that I keep creating. And I think that's, you know, that's the difference of people that um, keep living their lives. And that's the difference of the ones that are 
kind of stuck in grief. They're kind of stuck in like the past and like what could have been. And it's like, well, you don't have control, any, any control there, <laughs> you know? So I feel like, yeah, you can do everything right. And you might not have the career you think or you thought or you'd hoped, but if you look around you, you'll find some really interesting things to do and yeah. wonderful people to make it with. And you know, it may lead you in places you never imagined, right? It's that flexibility and willingness. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, this morning, like my piece that I've been kind of hammering out was this idea of, you know, there's, you know, the life we thought we'd have when we're growing up and the one we end up living and how often they're so different. I was going to be a movie star. I mean, come on. Um. But the life I've lived is so much more interesting. Like I had no idea that I would be doing these things even five years ago, you know? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, when did you come to terms with the fact that, okay, well, you know what, I'm not going to be a movie star, you know, like when did you finally say, okay, that's because I, I think that there's this sort of, you know, I distinction between delusion and persistence that is often overlooked in um, you know, self-help books, you know, stuff like my content and, and mm-hmm. even the people that I interview, you know, cause I mean, who discourages persistence? Like it's, it's praised. Ooh. Yeah. I, well, who says I've given up on that idea? <laughs> I didn't say you did. <laughs> no, I mean, in the back of my mind, it's funny. Like in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm like, well, you never know. Like, mm. I'm, you know, I plan to move to LA in the next, over the next few years, I'm going to be spending more time down there with my clients now that my son's grown. Um, so who knows? But the other part of me is like, yeah, but it's highly unlikely. And I've learned, come to learn about myself. I like being in control. Like I don't like, um, waiting to be picked or, you know, the auditioning process is brutal and that shouldn't be overlooked. And um, if I really, really wanted to be an actress, why haven't I been an actress, right? So it's kind of like, um, you know, so I'm just, I'm real with myself in that way, um, personally. And then, but your question was about delusion and how we can be delusional. I mean, hey, I all praise for delusionality. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I think... I think, I think you have to be a little crazy. I think you have to be a little delusional, a little mad sometimes. I think where you should stop is if it's hurting you or it's hurting someone else. Um, is that specific enough for you? Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I think that we don't often think of any of this through the lens of, you know, hurting us because we're like, oh, we're pursuing our dreams. We're doing, you know, what we're supposed to do to get what we want. Um, and sometimes I think we spend so much time trying to get what we want that we don't take the time to appreciate what we have. Oh, uh, well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think my caveat to be as delusional as you want is, are you happy along the way? Yeah. That's it. Are you happy doing what you're doing while you're persisting? Is that making you happy? And when it, when it's, when it's this point of like obsession where you're, you're hating it, where, I mean, I've seen, actors and people that are so angry and bitter and resentful and mad. And it's like, they, they've totally lost the thread of why they wanted to do it in the first place. And then I'm like, okay, that you need a break. Right. Then you need to decide if you really love this and need it. Um, but if you're loving it and you're persisting at it and you're happy, then, then that probably means you're in the present moment. Like you said, you know, Mm. you are happy with what you have in some way. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think that makes a really beautiful place to wrap up our conversation. So I want to ask you one last question, which I know um, you have heard me ask before. And that is, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Just breathing. Just being. Is there something about us that we have to do to make us unmistakable? Or is it this intangible almost like a scent, almost like a, an aura. Is it just, is it just letting go of worrying about being unmistakable? 
That's what I think. Hmm. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, sharing your story and insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, um, your work, the new book, and everything else that you're up to? Yeah. Making Art in the Middle of Madness is available on Amazon um, in uh, ebook and paperback format. I recommend the paperback. It's really nice to read. Um, and then also, uh, they can find a quiz, uh, my website, performersandcreatorslab.com. And there is a quiz there called What Shadow Archetype is Running You? So you could take the quiz and it's kind of, um, obviously all, all of the shadow selves tend to be in all of us, but you know, it's interesting to see what, what, uh, what you, you can go there and find out what's really running you what is more prevalent in your person and um that's kind of a fun way to be introduced to the work and making art in the middle of madness so that's at performers and creators lab.com amazing and for everybody listening we will wrap the show with that thank you for listening to this episode of the unmistakable creative podcast while you were listening were there any moments you found fascinating inspiring instructive maybe even heartwarming can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.